Good morning. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, we're very blessed to be here today. We have a very good crowd today. This is, I think, the biggest crowd we've had since about March of 2020. And uh, we're very glad that you're here today. And we hope that the lesson of this morning will be a blessing to you as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that resurrection impacts our lives. If you're visiting with us, we hope that you feel comfortable today. We hope that you feel blessed by being here. We're certainly blessed by your presence. Uh, and we hope that you will find this to be strengthening to you, to be comforting to you. And we hope, ultimately, that we glorify our God with everything we do here today. I appreciate the reading of the morning in Romans chapter 6 as Paul begins to outline some changes that happened within the people there at Rome, the Christians there at Rome, and reminding them of some things that perhaps they had forgotten. Now, we usually use those passages to talk about baptism, and, and rightly so, they teach us some things about baptism, but that really wasn't Paul's point. Paul had another point in mind, one that we're going to visit about this morning as we study the scriptures, and we're going to come back to our reading. We're not going to go back and read the entire reading, but hit some highlights. I will ask you one time during this service to get your Bible or electronic device, seems like we always say that, your Bible or your electronic device, uh, because we're going to do one reading and we're kind of going to kind of skip around a little bit. Uh, but I will have all the other passages on the screen for your convenience this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 13, here Paul says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. I think when people think about Jesus Christ, the first thing their mind is drawn to is the crucifixion and the suffering of Jesus, and rightly so. Rightly so. Because Jesus paid an incredible debt on the cross, and he paid an incredible debt with the suffering that he endured. But what we often don't connect is that the resurrection is really the linchpin, if you will, of our faith. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he's not the Son of God. And he didn't fulfill the prophets. And we have no hope. And as Paul points out, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he's not the Son of God, you're still in your sins. And your believing in Jesus is useless. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you ought to go do something else. Because you're exercising futility in your life. But the truth is, Jesus did rise from the dead. And the empty tomb is the reason we believe that he is who he said he was. Romans 1 and verse 3, here Paul writing says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ and our Lord, who was born the seed of David according to the flesh, now listen, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It wasn't just the miracles that Jesus performed that really declared that he was the Son of God. What truly declared Jesus is the Son of God was when the tomb 
was found empty. Now, what does that have to do with Romans 6? (laughs) And what does that have to do with us? Because really, the resurrection is more than that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The resurrection is not just about believing Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just about recognizing that He rose from the dead and that our bodies will rise from the dead when He returns. It's more than that, and the resurrection has a greater impact than just simply that. So revisiting Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. This is from the New King James Version. Paul says, or do you not know? Now, why would we ask somebody a question like that? Do you not know? Because evidently, they had let that slip from their mind. He starts this chapter by saying, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This question that he says, or do you not know, is in connection with that question. Are you just going to keep living in sin? Hoping God's grace will abound? He says, don't you understand? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ, just as Christ, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Listen, even so we also should walk in newness of life. (laughs) What is newness of life? What does that even mean? When do we celebrate new life coming into the world? Now, I'm not getting into some conversation about life in the womb. I believe there's life in the womb. That's not the point. The point is this. We recognize new life at birth. And what's he talking about here? That there's a death that occurs, there's a burial that occurs, and then there's newness of life. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a born-again Christian? You ever heard somebody say that, I'm a born-again Christian? What does that even mean? Well, I'll submit to you that it actually means something greater than what we often associate it with. What is born again? I want you to hold on to that for a minute. Hold on to that question. We're going to come back to it in a moment. What does it mean to be born again? But I want to first read a passage from Philippians to kind of help us frame our, our subject this morning and help our minds get in the right place so that we can understand some of the things that we study. In Philippians chapter 2, in there, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me ask you a question. How does it make you feel? And I know that's maybe a strange question for me to ask, but how does it make you feel when you read the words, work out your own salvation? Does that make you cringe a little bit? That makes a lot of people cringe. I'll tell you, I've heard this passage explained away in a hundred different ways. Maybe not a hundred, but a lot of different ways. People have tried to explain this passage away. That, well, you know, Paul uses the words work out, but he really didn't mean work. Because obviously we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, right? Well, let me ask you another question. What does this passage have to do with baptism? And I'll tell you what it has to do with baptism. Nothing. 
You say, I'm not following. Okay, let's think about something for a minute. When a person is united with Jesus in his death and his burial and resurrection, what happens at that moment? What happens? Number one, here's what happens. We die. That's what Paul said. We die. What else happens? Our sins are washed away. So what happens when our sins are washed away? That means all of the guilt that I have. Every sin that I've committed in the past is now gone. It's expunged from the record. It's gone. And that's an incredible burden lifted, isn't it? There's peace at that moment. There's joy at that moment. There is salvation in that event. What else happens? There's a resurrection. A birth, if you will. And what does this have to do with all that? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't have to do with. It doesn't have to do with the event that happened in the past, but it has to do with the present. In other words, when he says this, this has nothing to do with what happened when we were baptized. This has to do with where we're at now, what we're doing now. So when he says work out yourself, don't try to connect that with, well, we're already saved. Because here's the thing. We look at salvation in sort of this narrow way, and we just look at salvation as what happened in the event where our sins were washed away. But salvation is huge. It's much, it's much broader than that. It's greater than that. Because, yes, we're saved from the guilt of sin. We're saved at that moment. In other words, we're put into Christ, and all those changes happen. But here's the thing. What happens if somebody is put into Christ, has their guilt washed away, and then they go on low alert? We'll say it that way. We become complacent. Because I'm saved. Jesus has saved me. He's washed away my sin, so it's time to put my life back on low alert. That's what he's talking about here. He says, if you have always obeyed in my presence, you know what he means? When I'm around, you do what's right because I'm there. But he said, you also need to do what's right when I'm not there. Because this isn't about me, Paul's saying. This is not about me. You're not working out my salvation, and I'm not the master of your salvation. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me ask you a question. If somebody is baptized, and then they have nothing else to do, and they go complacent, and they don't live their life right, should they fear God? And the answer in this verse is yes, they should. And what we do is we say, well, we're in Christ, so we're supposed to fear God, but that just means we're supposed to reverence Him, like a son would a father. Yes, we should reverence God, but the two words here, fear and trembling, literally mean with fright and quaking. Fright and quaking. The salvation that we're talking about that is in relation to the resurrection to walk in newness of life, not just be a new creature, but to walk like a new creature, which is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6, is about today. It's about the present. 
And he said, God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Here's the thing. When it says God works in you, what does, what, what does he mean by that? Is he saying God just takes control of your heart and your mind and, and he, he just turns you into this puppet of righteousness and holiness? What does the word will mean? What does it imply? It implies that I have a will. That I have free will. And God is working in me so that I use that will and I use my action for His purpose and His pleasure. That's what it means to walk in newness of life. It's not just about recognizing that God gave us new life at the point of baptism, but that God has called us to walk in that newness. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 Here Peter says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So let's just ask that question again. Am I safe forever because I have been saved? And here's what Peter says. Notice the two phrases that I I really want to point out these two phrases especially. Is he talking about saved people? Okay, They have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, he's talking about saved people. He's talking about Christians. And notice what he says, they've turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. What's the holy commandment? Is he talking about one commandment that's holy and above all commandments? No, he's just, he's talking about the entire New Testament. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the new covenant. And what does he say that's like? He said it's like a pig who was washed wallowing in the mire. It's like a dog returning to its vomit and I don't want to focus on that dog vomit thing. That's disgusting. We won't really get into that. That's about as gruesome as it needs to be. But I want you to think about the pig uh, that was washed wallowing in the mire. Now, here's something that we recognize, and we must recognize this. The Bible teaches about this. John tells us about this in 1 John. As Christians, walking in newness of life does not mean we will never commit a sin. A pig can't walk around the pen without stepping in the mud. Its hooves are going to get muddy. And we living in the world, sometimes our our feet are going to get muddy. But here's the thing. What the pig doesn't have to do is look at the mud. And I'll tell you, that's not usually just water in that. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. It's not just water there. It's one thing to step in it. It's another thing to look at it and go, I think I want to get down and roll around in that. That's what he said it's like when somebody escapes the pollutions of the world, but then later he says they become entangled in the world, they become overcome by the world, and he said all of a sudden they've turned. What's that mean they've turned? It means that they'd repented at one point, but now they've repented again. They've turned back the other way. 
They're not walking anymore. They're not walking in newness of life. They're not walking with Jesus. They decided, I'm going to roll around in the mire. And friends, if you do that, you better fear God. Because God did not clean us up so we could go get dirty again. God cleaned us up to live for Him. And to live for His pleasure. 2 Peter 1 and 9, he says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. How could somebody forget that they were cleansed from sin? Well, he gives us the answer. He says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. What things is he talking about? He's talking about ending your faith, virtue to virtue, temperance. Knowledge, patience, brotherly kindness, charity, godliness, all those things. What's he saying? If you become complacent and you quit walking in newness of life, what's going to happen? He said, you're going to forget. And when you forget, you're going to go off the track. So make your calling, he says, and your election sure. So, I asked you to hold on to the question. What does it mean to be born again? Well, the way that Paul outlines that is that there's something that dies and there's something that lives after that death. So what is it that dies and what is, what is it that lives? And we're going to come back to that as well in just a moment. But he says in 2 Corinthians 5, this is Paul writing, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let's, let's look at that question. What is it that lives on the other side of this? Because he said some things are passed away and they're old. The old things are passed away. But he says all things, all things have become new. So I want to ask you a question. Are you walking in newness of life? How do you know? Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. What died? What died? I. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live... How does he live? By faith in the Son of God. What did Paul say died and what was living? He said, I died, Christ is alive. It's the resurrection of Christ. It's that uniting with Christ in his resurrection that not only gives us hope for the future, but also power for the present. And Paul says, I'm not alive anymore. Well, was Paul's heart beating? Yes. Was his brain operating? Yes. But what he's saying is, I have crucified myself. You say, whoa, 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 hold on. Okay, we're going to go back to our reading. 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, okay? We're still in that same flow of thought from where Paul talks about uniting with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now listen to what he says about Jesus' death. He says, for in the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Do you see that? Jesus died to sin, he said. And now he's alive and he lives what? He lives to God. Likewise, you also. You also what? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. So I want to think about this for just a moment, okay? He uses the word reckon yourself. That's a good Texas word, right? Reckon. Okay? What's the word reckon mean? Okay? Well, it's not like our Texas reckon, okay? So... Reckon literally means to take an inventory. To take an inventory. Okay, how do you take an inventory? You go and you see everything that you've got, and you spread it out, and you count it out, and then you make an assessment, right? So he's saying, do that. Do that with your life. Look at your life. Reckon yourselves, okay? Consider yourselves dead. Why? Because if you don't consider I dead... If you don't crucify yourself here, then you're not going to crucify yourself in your actions. And if you don't crucify yourself in your actions and in your mind, you're not going to live. And you're not going to live right. You're not going to live unto God because you're still alive. And what we often try to do is we try to resurrect that old, corrupt, dead man. Because we just don't understand that we died. We died with Christ in the waters of baptism. And because of that, we should live unto God. Therefore, we're going a little past our reading now. We stopped at verse 11. But verse 12 and 13 is what I want us to get. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your, mortar bo- in your, mortal, in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So here's the question. If I let sin reign in my mortal body after I've been washed, if I wallow in the mire, if I use my body as members, as a tool, that's what the word members or, or what the word instrument means, as a tool for doing what is wrong, can I really say I'm a born-again Christian? And the answer is no. We can't live in sin and walk in the old, uh, the old way and be born again. Because to be born again means the old self has died. So he says, present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead. So, again, how do you know? How do we present ourselves? Paul uses this phrase in a, few, a few times in this letter. In Romans 12 and 1, he also says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Okay? That idea of present means to put on display, to show. It's kind of like 
when you make a sacrifice and you come and you lay it down and you lay down that sacrifice. It's like when you give someone a gift and you put it in a, a pretty box with a bow and you put it before them. You present that to them and hope it's acceptable. And that's what he's talking about. Present your lives before God as though you have died to sin and that you're now alive. Present yourselves as living. And how do we do that? Sacrifice. That's what he says. What kind of sacrifice? A sacrifice of living. That's newness of life. That's the change that happens. We go from doing what we want and living how we want with the desires and fulfilling the desires that our flesh may have to now living as a sacrifice. We don't put uh, the body to death in a, in a way of the sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice, which means we now have turned and we're doing what's holy and acceptable to God. And he says, that's your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So, I asked you the question, how do you know? So, uh, maybe you're like me and you hate tests. We're going to take a test. Because we're told to take a test. And here in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, we're going to read this. This is actually from the New American Standard Version. And, and I only chose this version because of the way it translates the, the very end of the verse because it's more accurate to the translation. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. How do you test yourself? Well, you've got to open yourself up for testing. That's one thing. And then you've got to have some standard... In order to take the test. So that's what we're going to look at in a moment, is the standard for taking the test. But, but he says this, or do you not realize that, that about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you failed the test. You ever failed a test? I bet some of you have never failed a test. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I failed a few tests. And I'll tell you, it's devastating when you fail a test. And he's saying, you need to look at yourself and test yourself. And he said, because Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test. What does that mean? That means there's a way to test ourselves to see whether or not we're actually walking in newness of life. So, we're going to read just a few passages out of Colossians chapter 3. So if you'll grab your Bible or, or electronic device. We're going to read just a few verses out of this because Paul uses this similar language about death and about living and, and in connection with the analogy that he uses in, in connection with Jesus' death and his resurrection. 
Colossians chapter 3, we will start in verse 1. He says, if then you were raised with Christ. Is he talking about at the end of life? No, he's talking about now. If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he says, on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you, will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now look at verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are in the earth. Do you see what I mean now about us crucifying? It's not just about being crucified with Christ in the symbolic way in, in the waters of baptism, but it's also a conscious choice that we make to put ourselves to death every day put to death he says your members your bodies and then he tells us what to put to death fornication uncleanness passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry and he said because of these things the wrath of god is coming upon the son's of disobedience. He says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now, he says, you yourselves are put off these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Do you see every time he tells them, you need to stop doing this, stop living this way, he appeals to the fact that you've died and that you're now living. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul says there are things that need to die, and there are things that need to live. And here's the thing. If you don't put to death the things on this side, you can't put to life the things on this side. He says, rather than being consumed by lust. Okay, fornication which is sexual immorality. He talks about uncleanness, which really is self-explanatory, doing things that are dirty, doing things that are unclean. He talks about passion, which has to do with sensual passions, evil desire, covetousness, which he said is, is idolatry if you think about it, because it takes your heart and your mind and, and it becomes your God. He says rather than doing those things, he said what you need to do is live in holiness as the elect of God. Holy and beloved, he said, put these things on. He says, put off or put to death anger and wrath and malice. And this word blasphemy, sometimes we read the word blasphemy, we, all, on a, we can't even get the word out. We, uh, we right away, our mind goes to, we're speaking against God. But this word just means railing. It just means railing. 
It means to insult and to speak negative things about people, to talk bad about people. That's what the word blasphemy means. He said, rather than do those things, he said, you need to walk in, you need to put on, you need to live in what? Tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness or gentleness, we would say, being patient, putting up with each other, forgiving one another. And he said, above all these things, he said, put on love, because that's the bond of perfectness or the bond of perfection. He says, let peace rule. Now, do you notice I left a couple off the list that he mentions here? Filthy language and lying. Filthy language and lying. He says, that was in the old man. That's the way you walked before when before you died, before you were resurrected. That's the way you used to walk. Don't walk that way anymore. Why? Because you're the elect of God. You're holy. You're beloved. And Christ is living in you. Or is he living in you? Is he living in us? So what's, what, what becomes new? Well, here's one thing that's supposed to become new. A new mind. We just read this in Colossians 3 and verse 10. And have put on the new man, listen, which is renewed... In knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. And he's talking about us being created in the image of Christ when we were baptized. And what happens? The mind is supposed to be renewed. So I want to ask you, let's take the test. Since you have become a Christian, is your mind different? Do you see the world differently? Do you see people differently? And I don't mean in a negative way. I mean, do you see them as valuable? Do you see them through the eyes of tender mercy and compassion and kindness and gentleness? What's your mind on? Going back to Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the transformation that's supposed to occur. That's how we're made new. It starts with the mind. Everything starts with the mind. You know, it's, it's shocking to me that sometimes people will, will obey the gospel of Christ and then later someone goes, it's like they're a completely different person. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. A completely different person who doesn't think the same way. You know, when Jesus came back from the dead, he was different. He was different. There were times that he would show the marks of the flesh. He bore the marks of the flesh. He had holes here and a hole here and holes in his feet. And he had a hole in his side still. But Jesus was different. And his apostles recognized he's different. Things have changed. Are you different? Going back to Colossians 3 and verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Here's something else that becomes new. Our desire becomes new. Now I'll just, I'm going to use myself as an example because that's the... Example I know the best. I, I had a desire for certain things before I really gave my life to Christ. And y'all are going to think this is really dumb. And I'll tell you why. Because it was really dumb. I wanted to be a rock star. I'm just being honest. 
And I was in a band, and we were fixing to sign a contract, and we were going to go down, down to Dallas, and we were about to open up for the Black Crows, and Toy was pregnant with Van, and all of a sudden, life got serious. I was like, you got to make a choice. Because I knew what that life would be. And I had to take all those desires that I'd had for many years and just dump them in the garbage. And I'd be lying if sometimes I'd... If I, I'd be lying if I told you that sometimes I don't watch somebody on stage and kind of get that itch again and then go, no, sir. No, sir. That man's dead. And you leave him in the grave. You understand what I'm talking about, don't you? You may have had aspirations. They may have changed. I hope they have. Because he says, if you're alive, if you've been raised from the dead, then you need to set your mind not here, but there. You set your mind there. Because you're alive. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Here's something that also becomes new. A new standard. I'll tell you, new standards are hard. And some of you that are teachers, you know this. When, when the administration comes in, they say, we've implemented a new policy. You're going, great. Because it's challenging. I mean, it's challenging to change your standards. But the standard has to change. You know, we operate in a certain way in life. And, and this is not just true of Christians. This is true of, of, of everybody. We operate in life. We make choices based upon what we know what we believe to be true, and then whatever discernments that we can make based on what we know. That's everybody in life. And sometimes we see somebody make a really dumb decision and we go, what, did you just not think? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they let that slip. But I want you to notice that there's a greater standard than just operating in life through knowledge and judgment. Paul says, this I pray, that your love may abound in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. Now, I'm going to go back to teachers again, okay? Uh, because I know about teachers. My stepmother was a teacher. And I'll tell you, she was always frustrated with me because she felt like I was capable of excellence and I gave mediocrity. 100% my dad's... He knows. I gave me to Ocarty. That's just how it was. We, we understand the difference, don't we? I'll tell you, when I graduated, I graduated within 96% average. I was happy about that. I thought, that's great. And my stepmom would tell me, you've got potential, but you don't care. I was satisfied with where I was. That's not excellence, is it? When you know you're not putting in the work, you really know you're not putting in the effort, but you're okay with the results. That's not excellence. And so there's a standard of excellence, and we can recognize the standard of excellence, but he said you can't do that through just knowledge and judgment. He says if you really want to approve and live the right way, you've got to just not go off of your brain, but you've got to have abounding love. And that means that whatever decisions I make while I'm walking in newness and I'm walking with Christ, I'm walking that way because of you as well. My life is not my own. I live by a new and a higher standard. 
And I don't get to treat you however I feel like you need to be treated because of some disagreement that we have. Because to walk in Christ, to walk in newness, is to walk in love. And love is over. It's over knowledge and judgment. doesn't mean knowledge and judgment shouldn't be in the right place. What it means is we're looking through a lens of love as we make those decisions. A new identity. This one's a tough one. I don't know, some of you are like, you talk about this a lot. Yes, I do. And I'll tell you why. Because when I find that there's failures in my life, it's because I have forgotten who I am. And I'm not talking about Ian Jones. I'm talking about I forgot who I belong to. And what it means to have a new identity. Paul had a new identity. Huge, huge change in his identity. Paul, as he recounted his old self, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. When you think about what Paul's saying, he's actually saying, you know, if somebody wants to brag about what they've done in in the life and, and brag about where they came from, he says, I could do that a lot more than they could. So it wasn't like he wasn't aware of who he used to be. And I want you to think about who he used to be. We don't talk about this a whole lot. But Paul used to be arrogant. you got to be arrogant to do what Paul did. And do you think it didn't affect him at all to just completely deny everything that he had held confidence in all of his life? I'll tell you something would have to change about Paul. You know, one of the things that needs to be new when we understand our new identity is our personality. You say, well, that's, that sounds really strange. Why would a person ever change their personality? I mean, it's who they are. No, it's who we've become. And I'll give you some instances in that. I've known people who before they came into contact with Jesus and before they walked in newness of life, you couldn't have sat in the room with them for five minutes without wanting to hit them. I mean they were abrasive they were condescending every other word was a curse word and I tell you they overcame that and they did it through the power of Christ and it was like they were a different person their whole personality changed your personality is not your identity Christ is your identity And sometimes our personality is in conflict with the standard. It's in conflict with Jesus and walking with Jesus. And we may need to look at the identity and go, okay, there's some things in my personality that need to be put to death. Because it's causing me not to walk in love. It's causing me not to meet the standard. Paul had to do that. He had to set all those things aside. And he said, I have counted them as loss. Okay, that word loss literally means dung. 
All these things that he had held for so long and were so important to him, he said, it's fodder, it's excrement, it's nothing, it's worthless. And how do you do that? I counted them loss. You've got to make the decision. That's what he did. He counted. He reckoned, if you will. I decided those were dung. And until you do that, they won't be. They won't be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation. This is Peter speaking. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. See, it's that identity that helps us understand our purpose. And when we lose the identity, we lose the purpose. And here's the thing about the purpose. When you've got a purpose, when you've got a goal, and you're striving toward that goal, everything falls in place toward that goal, doesn't it? What's the goal? What's the goal? The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify and praise God. And everything that you do should be in line with that purpose, fulfilling that purpose. You know what that helps me do? It helps me navigate the other areas. It helps me navigate the standard. It helps me navigate what is excellent because if it doesn't glorify and praise God, in fact, if it glorifies and praises me or it glorifies the world or it glorifies some other worldly thing, it's not excellent because my purpose is to glorify and praise God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And finally, we have a new hope. I can remember when I was a kid, people would come to the classroom and, and uh, you know, people from various careers and they'd come in and they'd give a talk and it would always create some excitement and people would be, you know, I'm going to be a firefighter, I'm going to be a policeman or, or whatever. I mean, that's just kind of what you look, look forward to. You kind of find what you want to do in life and you get there. And sometimes those plans change, don't they? You know, life throws us a curveball and we can't do what we always wanted to do anymore. And it's, it's crushing, isn't it? I mean, when you, ha- when you have hope, you have this expectation of being something, and then all of a sudden, the rug is just pulled out from under you. It's crushing. But here's the thing. When it comes to Christ Jesus, His promises are not yes or maybe or no. They're always yes. They're always yes. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection, or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, it's amazing to me 
how the resurrection impacted Christ's apostles. You ever thought about that? You know, when Peter was standing outside as they were taking Jesus captive and and taking him up to be tried, there were people out there asking Peter if he was with Jesus. And Peter had already decided in his mind, I'm going to stick with you, Lord. I'm going to stay with you. Even if, even if I die, I'm going to stay with you. And he was willing to fight the, the physical battle. He pulled a sword out and tried to cut Malchus in half. But, but when it came to the spiritual battle, Peter was very weak. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with the fact that he was watching Jesus be taken. But he failed to be faithful and he failed to be loyal to Christ. But I'll tell you what happened when Peter met the resurrected Jesus. His faith was steadfast. And he eventually died for Christ. All the apostles, all of them who fled, just as Jesus said, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Well, that happened before he died, but after he was resurrected, the sheep gave their lives because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior who has given us life. And He says, walk in that life. Walk with Christ. So friends, who lives in you? Did you fail the test? Who lives in you? This morning, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And I'll tell you what he's doing right now. He's interceding for his saints. And interceding for those even who might be failing the test. Would you come to him today? Maybe you're burdened with the guilt of sin. And you need to unite with Jesus in baptism. He will relieve you of that burden. He will give you a new hope and a new purpose. He will give you a new standard. He'll give you newness. And maybe you're here today and you've already done that. But the life has shifted. Well, friends, it's never too late to come back. To come back to Jesus and walk with Him again. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. Come have a seat on the front as we stand and we sing.